Good to see everybody tonight. Good to have uh, some riders from about three or four different churches that come here on Thursday night for a biker Bible study. And just a little short promotion for that, 645 on Thursday night, we have a biker Bible study, and it's open to anyone that wants to come. You can cage in if you don't ride in, and we're okay with that. So uh, just you know, keep that in mind. Uh, I've known Dwayne for, um, I don't know, four or five years or something like that. And he came to our church and gave us kind of an introduction about bikers and how things go, that sort of thing. And at the time, I wasn't riding. And uh, a few years later, I started riding. And we, one of the first, I guess, big trips was we uh, went to... Uh, we went to Washington, D.C. I think he'd already been out to California. He was coming back here, and I picked him up here in, in Fort Worth, and I rode on out to Washington, D.C., and uh, we, were, we, we roomed together on the way out there and back, and uh, we were talking, and he was saying, about, saying something about, you know, you ought to get involved in honor-bound motorcycle ministries and, and uh, be part of that, that whole thing. And I said, well, you know, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I'm cut out to do that kind of thing. And he says, well, he says, you know, I said, I'm not sure I can, you know, work with these 1% guys and all this kind of stuff that you have in the, in the biker world. And he says, oh, he says, I think you're quirky enough. You'll fit right in. So, I, so he encouraged me to get in the biker ministry. But Dwayne, is a, he's a national missionary with the Assemblies of God. The Honor Bound is uh, the uh, AG's uh, national motorcycle ministry, and he'll tell you more about that in just a bit. But uh, he's, uh, he's on a, 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 the uh, National Council of Christian Unity of Motorcycle Groups. And there's three chaplains that are part of that. They take care of, the, uh, of God's business kind of thing you know, on a national basis. And the powers of five are the five outlaw bikers that control the territory in the United States. They take care of their business. And you have to be picked for that. You have to be selected. You don't get to be, a, you don't get to be the chaplain on that just because you've got a title. Uh, you have to earn it. In the biker world, if you wear a patch or if you get a position, you have to earn that. It's not just given. So he was given that. Uh, but he's a great friend. We've ridden, uh, we've ridden out to California and back, and on the way back, he tried to bust up the concrete with his uh, motorcycle on his shoulder, and uh, he may tell you a little bit about that on, on the way back from D.C. But uh, just, just a great friend. Uh, he's, uh, he's what I call a hardcore Christian. He's a hardcore Christian. He's a hardcore biker. Uh, he rides in the wintertime, uh, rides uh, in the summertime when it's hot, rides up in the northeast in the wintertime. And uh, I remember when he came to our church first time, my brother-in-law had a, had a motorcycle. And, you know, he, he's a, and there's nothing wrong with being a fair-weather rider. I'm not casting any stones at anyone that doesn't like to ride in the wintertime. But he, he rides until it gets a little bit uh, cool, and then he puts it in the garage. And Dwayne said something like, uh, well, you know, you got these guys out here that they put their bikes in the garage about October or September or some kind. Don't get them out till the spring again. And uh, he didn't say too much about that. But anyway, he's a, he, he's a, he's a great friend. Uh, just loves God. He, uh, he reminds me a little bit of the Apostle Paul. I'll just say this before I, I give him the, the floor here. Um, the Apostle Paul said, I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. I know how to be uh, in want and I know, uh, in need and I know how to be full. I don't remember the exact quote. That's more of a lens paraphrase there. But Paul indicated there are times it were difficult. There were times that, there, that he was full and he, he served God anyway. And Dwayne's the kind of guy that he's going to serve God no matter what. If, it's, if he's uh, running lean or if he's running full uh, in this world, a good, he just, he just serves God. And uh, I just appreciate him. I love him. I have a lot of respect for the man. Uh, he's my mentor, actually. And uh, so, I, Dwayne Grider, come and come tell us about the Lord. So, he talked about what a hard riding biker I am. And I'm in, I'm in my Speed the Light truck tonight. <laughs> bikes, bikes getting ready to go to, I'll ride tomorrow. Uh, to Tennessee, so I'll, uh, where I got to be, I'm going to ride about 11 hours tomorrow, so uh, then I'll do ministry all weekend. I just got back from being gone for a month, so I spent all over Nebraska and West Texas, and, and God's blessed us 
uh, I don't know how much of a biker. I'm not, I'm not some hardcore biker that got saved and started doing this. I'm just a pastor. And my wife, this is my wife, Janet. <laughs> Janet's not a biker, babe. She's a pastor's wife. I mean, we, we were pastoring, folks. I mean, I, 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 got, I, I got saved when I was 11 years old, and it took. You know, I, I mean, the pastor came to my house. He made sure I understood what it meant to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I mean, that's, that's the key element that's missing in a lot of our churches today is we, we want somebody to invite Jesus into their heart. We want him to ask him to be their savior. Listen, if you fall into a swimming pool and you're drowning and the lifeguard pulls you out, he's your savior, but he's not your master. And the scripture says we're to confess him as master, confess him as Lord. So took time to do that when I was 11 years old. I led my first person to Christ when I was 16. The most addictive thing that will ever happen in your life is if you lead someone to Christ. I was teaching Bible classes by the time I was 17. I've sold some wild oats, but not enough to grow you a good breakfast. So I've been serving him my whole life. I've, I've done every position in the church except for women's ministries and children's ministries. And I'd rather be in prison. I'm just telling you. So, so that's just a little bit about where we came from. And uh, I enjoyed this time of worship. I, the thing I miss most about being a missionary, and pastors, y'all can relate to this. The thing I miss most about being a missionary is I don't have a sanctuary that I can go into anytime I want to and just get along with God and sing that song we were singing. I love that. Holy, holy, holy. I love that. And having that time. And what, what really took place for us is for four years, Springfield asked us to do what we're doing. I've been riding since, you said you almost bought a bike in, sev- in the 70s. I bought one in 1972, and I've been riding pretty much ever since. Love to ride bikes. I loved them when I was a kid. When I was a kid, we'd be going down the highway, and I would make believe that I was on a motorcycle out in front of the, in front of the car or else on a dirt bike in the bar ditch, just imagining myself. I just constantly thinking about and consumed with wanting to ride motorcycles. And someone said, isn't it cool when God gives you a ministry that uses something you're so passionate about? I'm of a firm, I'm firmly convinced that God gave me a passion because he knew what he was going to use me in ministry. Think about that. Those things that he's made you passionate about are things that he wants to put you involved in. Don't use it just for your own pleasure. Do you hear what I'm saying? Anyhow, so these are none of my, I got notes. We'll get to those, okay? Promise. Because they told me I had, I had plenty of time that, and we'll leave some time to answer some questions in a bit. But my passion about riding motorcycles didn't make me want to do what I'm doing right now. For four years, Springfield asked me to do what I'm doing. They asked me to become a motorcycle chaplain. We have others. And they asked me if I would become a motorcycle chaplain. And for four years, I said no. And one day I was in the sanctuary. I can, I can go back to every major decision that I've ever made. And I can tell you which sanctuary I was in. In fact, I can tell you where in the sanctuary I was. This one, I was in a little church, a little missions church we'd taken. Well, God tricked us into going there. We were there. <laughs> well, he did. I was, going, I, don't, I was going to a big church on staff in Mississippi, Presbyter asked me, presbyters are dangerous people. Presbyter asked me, he said, would you go down and help out this dying church for two weeks? When we first drove into town, my wife goes, boy, I hope God never sends us somewhere like this. <laughs> there were 20 people counting the kids and there were a lot of kids. Never been in a small church as an adult. So we were in that little small church 
I should have seen it coming. My wife, second time we drove it in town, Janet's going, isn't it pretty when the sun comes up over the mesas in the morning? You know, God was already working on her. The town was 70% Hispanic. My, my Spanish is horrible. I mean, I've used it in the prison before and had people go, ah, what did I say? You don't want to know, preacher. And so I've had those kind of things happen to me. So I was in McCamey, Texas, little bitty church. We'd, we'd, we'd taken it from those, those the small gathering to start with up to 125. We, we, in a town of 1,800 in the desert. That may not seem much to you. For pastors, you understand 125 in a town of eight. We were bigger than First Baptist. That's huge for an Assembly of God church. So I was happy where I was. They let me do my prison ministry. I, I had a biker teaching Sunday school. I mean, because I was out in the desert away from everybody. I could do whatever I wanted to, right? I could just let God guide. I mean, I had a, taught four hours a week in a prison because I love prison ministry. We started a Bible school where we trained people for ministry. One of the guys we trained for ministry, when he got out, went back to that same town, ended up pastoring a small church there. And on the last Sunday of every month, he preaches in the church that he got, I mean, the prison where he got saved in. I loved it. I liked where I was. But I was, we had some little wooden steps that were made out of the original church building that went up to the platform. I had the one light shining on. I had my Bible and some concordances spread out, and I was seeking God's will on some sermons in, that we were going to be doing the next year. And just the Lord spoke to me. I, I was pleading with him because I couldn't get past a certain place on my series that I needed. And I said, God, I need to get this done. I mean, don't you know I'm busy? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sometimes I, that's how I pray. I talk to God, you know, like I would to my dad. And so I, I, I'm busy and the Lord just spoke to me and he said, do you really want this church to have Jonah in their boat? So the biker world was my Nineveh and I was refusing to go. I called Springfield. They already had a file built on me. So this doesn't happen. In November, I applied to be a missionary and by March, I was approved. Now, I already had sermons prepared. I prepared my sermons in advance for the next year. So I had them prepared all the way to May, not the whole sermon, just text and title, all the way to May. So I told him, well, I can't start until after May. He said, why? And I said, because I've already got sermons to the end of May. Well, I mean, God gave them to me. I need to preach them, right? Plus, I had some kids that I was the only pastor they'd ever known. And, and I wanted to be there for their for their graduation, because that, that little church where I went down to help for two months, I stayed almost 10 years. Love the place. I still love the place. I'm, I'm a member of several Hispanic families, and I know I am because every Christmas, I still get homemade tamales. <laughs> so that's a little bit of, of our background. So Janet and I, we're of a pastor and a pastor's wife. We're, we're not hardcore bikers. But we've decided when we did this, Janet, I went home and I told her and she said, well, Dwayne, I just don't see us doing what they're doing in motorcycle ministry in the assemblies because what they were doing was going in and just setting up and doing evangelism. They still do that. And that's a great thing. It's good to go out and do the evangelistic events, but that's what our missionaries were doing. And, and Janet, I remember, I remember saying this and it just stuck and it was so, I knew it was right. She said, if we're going to be missionaries, then let's be missionaries to the biker world like our foreign missionaries are to the cultures they go to. So that's what we're doing. 
that, that fits our core values as far as ministry. So our goal it was not to just go in and move from event to event to event to event doing evangelism. I mean, after I've preached for years and years that God didn't send us to make converts. He sent us to make disciples. You see that on the bottom of these patches on the back, it says disciple of Jesus Christ. Not, not just a follower, not just a convert, but a disciple a student, one that's learned, one that's being taught, one that's working. And so that, that was kind of our goal. And so we approached it because that fit our core values. I have three core values in ministry, three core values in ministry. The number one is this. I believe that every person deserves to hear the gospel at their personal level of understanding. Every believer deserves to hear the gospel at their personal level of understanding. I don't care. So let me, let me give you an example. And, and, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I, it really, I, it's my core value, so I'm going to say it anyway, okay? The King James Version of the Bible is a college reading level. Now, some of you may not have a college reading level, but because you've been in church all your life, you've grown to understand that kind of reading. But for John Q. Public, it's a college reading level. The, one of the most accurate translations is the New American Standard which is also a college level reading level. So we have these other versions. Um, the, the NIV is an eighth grade reading level. Uh, in most of the prisons that I go into, the reading level is a sixth grade reading level. The, I, I used to, when I first started going to the prisons, I'd use the King James and I realized I'm not connecting. I needed to get down to their level. It's kind of like when I was an evangelist and I went to a church one time and, and I preached this message and I thought it's pretty awesome. And this one guy comes up to me afterwards and he said, man, that was awesome. Because I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. So he really felt like he'd been taught. And so he goes, man, that was awesome. He said, that, well, I learned so much from that message. And I'm, I'm kind of feeling pretty good about that. You know, we like to know that when we preach, somebody connected. And he goes, yeah. He said, there probably wasn't but about four of us understood what you said. <laughs> and he said, the church, our church is not very literate here. And so he said, you were preaching and teaching high above the head. So I really try to communicate on a 12th grade level because, I mean, a 12-year-old level, because if I can communicate on that vocabulary level, the smarter people get it too. Does that make sense? The smarter people can understand a fourth grade reading level, Right. And so can the people that can't. The, the, the uh, New Living Translation, which they say the Hebrew portion is extremely accurate in the translation, not the, not the New Living Bible, but the New Living Translation. Uh, they say the Hebrew part is extremely close on the, on the Hebrew translation there. But it's a sixth grade reading level. A sixth grade reading level. So that's going to work really good in jails and prisons. For a fourth grade reading level, there's the American English version for the deaf is translated on a fourth grade reading level because with the American Sign Language, anybody do sign language? An American Sign Language is, is really just a fourth grade vocabulary. It's not, now they've come up with our, in our schools where we're doing signed exact English. My daughter was one of the first ones certified in signed exact English here in Texas. And she was an interpreter for years and, and, uh, till, till kids came along and that's kind of taken more priority right now. So, uh, and they're my grandson. So I wanted them to be a high priority, right? So, uh, but, but a fourth grade reading, you can get it in what's called the easy to read version. It's actually 
the English version for the deaf. It's a fourth grade reading level. So if I need to use that, and I have in some of the jails that I've worked in, given those books to the sheriff to be able to hand out because it's a fourth grade reading level. Because I believe every person deserves to hear the gospel at their personal level of understanding. Does that make sense to you? And so that's, that's, one of, that's my number one core value. I, listen, I'll tell people, listen, if they can't understand the fourth grade reading level, I'll get down on the sidewalk and use chalk. I don't care. I want them to understand the gospel, right? I tell stories. I tell lots of stories when I'm talking to people on the streets. I use parables, but they're modern day parables. Uh, we use this book here. On the back table, there's one of these. And if you want to get one of these, it's kind of a prayer point. This is called the Book of Hope Road Edition. Y'all had Bob Hoskins here on uh, Sunday. He developed this for children, the Book of Hope for children. And, and I thought, what a, what a good tool. Because like I said, I do a lot of stuff in jails. I do a lot of people, things with people who are not educated very well. This is the contemporary English version. And so it was, it was put together. Now, we've got a few stories in here that are not in the regular Book of Hope. But we took the Book of Hope, and then we, we converted it to a road edition. So it's a pocket-sized book. It takes, and it's got articles in there about brotherhood and honor and respect and, and things that are, that are biker heart-related issues. And we partnered with, with One Hope to make this happen. Now, if you look on the back, if you look at the rest of the Book of Hope, this little One Hope logo on the back normally says, One Hope, underneath it, it says, God's word for every child. We took that part off. But we use the same text, only with a few more stories that we added in and then, and then the things in the back. There's a six fill in the blank section piece in the back. We had no idea how important that was going to be. I got a letter from a lady in Kansas. She asked for 11 of these books. We shipped these in cases of 100 to any motorcycle ministry in the United States for free. These are bought by Light for the Lost Funds. I don't know if y'all have had any focus on Light for the Lost, but Light for the Lost is part of men's ministries. They raise money to supply publications for evangelism for missionaries. And so we qualified. So we shipped these out. We shipped out about 130,000 copies so far of this book. We ship them out a case at a time. Now, if they, if they come and get them or Lens keeps them at his place and people in the Dallas-Fort Worth area get them from him all the time, uh, if we have to mail them, it costs me $15 a, a box. And so we, ha- we ask them to reimburse us for mailing them. But we send these out. So she's asking for 11. So her phone number is in there. So I called her. And I said, ma'am, why do you want 11 books? We usually ship these out by the case. And she says, well, I'm not a member of a Christian group. She told me what group it was. And then she said, someone gave me one of these books. She said, I read it from cover to cover. I prayed that prayer in the back. And I've got 11 friends that won't go to church with me. But they've agreed to meet at my house once a week and do those fill-in-the-blank sections in the back. Now, if they meet once a week and do that, they're going to basically read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because that's what the book of hope is. It takes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and puts it in chronological order. Or I, I have to say, when I'm telling these guys, I don't say in chronological order. I say they put it in the, way it, in the order it happened. See, that gets back to that vocabulary thing, right? They put it in the order it happened. And so this thing reads, I had a hell's angel in Sturgis that told me, he said, you know, I thought about doing the Christian thing. He said, I even went to Walmart and bought a Bible. He thought that was the first step. Sound like a good one, right? Did you know nine out of 10 Americans already own a Bible? 
They're just not reading it. So we don't want to give them a Bible. We want to give them an evangelism tool. So he said, I read that first chapter, Genesis. He called Genesis a chapter because he's not Bible literate. So when you look in the table of contents in a book, what do you usually see? Chapters. So he said, I read that first chapter, Genesis. He said, there's nothing in there for me. I gave him one of these books. He came back the next day, brought one of his friends with him, one of his brothers. And he said, I read some of that book last night that you gave me. He said, I can do this. He said, do you have one for my brother? I'm telling you, it's been a contagious thing. These fill in the blank sections in the back of this fit so well with my, my core value of everybody hearing the gospel at their own personal level of understanding. And the cool thing is those six fill in the blank sections are being used in tattoo parlors and bike shops and garages and people's homes with people that won't go to church. What we've been discovering is a lot of them by the time they get through with those six weeks are ready to go to church somewhere because we reached them on a level that they can communicate. Does that make sense? So that, that's one of our core values. Now, my, my, second, my second one is this, and not everybody agrees with this, but I'll give you a scripture in a minute to go with this, but I believe that every believer, every believer needs a committed relationship with a local church in order to mature spiritually. And, and I would add to that, under the leadership and the authority of a pastor. You cannot mature spiritually just sitting at home watching Christian television. In fact, if you watch it all day, you'll be one of the most confused people on the face of the earth <laughs> and broke because you've had to send all of them. <laughs> you know, you need that committed relationship. Here was the problem. Here was the problem that we saw with motorcycle ministries in the United States. The majority of the motorcycle ministries in the United States do not require you to attend a local church and be faithful. So when, when, when Honor Bound was moved to be one of the, nas the, nas or the national motorcycle ministry of the Assemblies of God, we have one of our core, core things there that fits with this value is, is you have to have a pastor sign off that you faithfully attend and financially support the local church or you don't get the patch. You are under the authority of the pastor. The pastor can pull your patch at any time when you stop being faithful. The guys who you see wearing these patches are tithers. And they come to church. And they listen to their pastors. We had a situation up in Pennsylvania where this guy, after he got patched, he was so busy with motorcycle ministry, he was never at church. So the pastor called him and said, listen, if you're going to be a part of this ministry, you can't be gone all the time. You need to be, and they had to work out an arrangement to where when he could be gone and when he could stay there. You can't miss church all the time. Some motorcycle ministries do. They never go to church. I, 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 one in particular, I'm not going to give you the town or the group, but I was meeting with some pastors in this town and I was talking about the president of this local group and, and uh, I mentioned him to him and, and all these pastors looked at me and they said, is he a Christian? Man, that should not be so. You need a committed relationship with a local church. I'll, I'll get into a scripture on that in a minute just to share a, a little bit more of that so you can understand that. And so we, we, we want to bring lifestyle bikers into a relationship with local churches. One of the ways we're doing that is not everybody will come straight into a church. So we do Thursday night biker churches. 
this church has one along with, and, and you were in cooperation with how many, five other churches that kind of, that participate in it. So when these guys get ready to go to church, they're not just coming here, they're going, but they're going to one of the, these churches that is cooperating with this biker Bible study. We do them on Thursday nights because guys that are not Christian usually have plans for the weekend. They're not good. And we know that they're coming to the biker Bible study and then doing things on the weekend they shouldn't do. But then they come back to the biker Bible study. It gives us a chance. So there's one here. We've, there's one in Pueblo, Colorado. We've got one going in Searcy, Arkansas. And we're working on getting the leadership set up now for one in Austin. And we just started discussing for one in Odessa, Texas. So we're trying to set those up across the country. Now, you see how that operates like our foreign missionaries. Our foreign missionaries don't just do evangelism. They establish bodies of believers and people who can train them and teach them under the authority of a pastor, right? Am I making sense? So, so that's, that's a big part of, of, of our core value. By the way, the other requirement on Honorbound is, is the fact that you have to be drug, alcohol, and tobacco-free for a year before you can wear the back patch. You can get a chest patch that just says RF, but you have to ride with no back patch until you had a year that you're drug, alcohol, and tobacco-free. Now, I'm going to tell you two things about me as a pastor. I am a Pentecostal holiness preacher. Now, you might not think that if you look back at Pentecostal and holiness by the way that I look. But I'm telling you, I believe that Christians ought to live a holy lifestyle. My life should reflect the life of Christ. Paul used this statement several times to follow his example and the example of those who followed him. Am I right? And, and, and we'll say, and we do a cop-out. I, I, there's a lot of cop-outs I see in Scripture, but this, this is a huge one. We go, oh, don't get your, and I'm going to use my best preacher voice for this one, okay? Oh, don't get your eyes on man. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's a cop-out. Because you ought to live your life in such a holy way that you can tell people, if you'll follow my example, that's what Paul did, follow my example. You know why? Because when people first get saved, especially in the culture that we're working with, they don't see Jesus. They see you. It's a biker in Junction, Texas. Skin looks like leather. Told me one time, he said, Dwayne, he said, I wasn't looking for someone like me when I got saved. He said, I was just looking for someone normal that could actually live the Christian lifestyle. Now I question him thinking I'm normal, but that's what he was looking for. They're looking for people in the hardcore biker world uh, that they're looking for. Listen, they've been known because we drug, alcohol, and tobacco free. Wow. Some of the church is just trying to see how close to the edge on all those they can get nowadays. How close to the edge can I get without and still be holy? Let me tell you, stay away from the edge. In, in the hardcore biker world, they've been known to take and see a guy wearing a Christian patch in a bar drinking a beer. They've been known to hold them down and cut their patch off their back while it's still on their back. Hell's Angel up in Sturgis patted a guy with a Christian patch. It's real common on the back. He said, I got one of those. And the guy said, oh, you used to be? No, I never been. Saw one of your brothers at a bar drinking, so I just cut his patch off. I've got it hanging on my living room wall. It's a trophy. 
they want the holiness message. I was in Wisconsin preaching in a biker event just a month ago. At that event, we had eight men get saved and 14 baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, we ought to be what we say we are. Do you hear what I'm saying? Why can't you give up something if it can help somebody find Christ? I can't tell you. I've done so much street ministry over the years. When I was 21, I knew God called me to reach the people the church gave up on. On the streets, I've had so many people tell me, you know what? Uh, Just a bunch of hypocrites. I saw Deacon so-and-so buying a six-pack. Deacon so-and-so may have never gotten drunk a day in his life, but he just cost me an opportunity to reach someone for the kingdom of God. I believe in holiness. I believe we ought to be what we say we are. And that's one of the things with Honorbound, guys. We have a reputation in the biker world at being what we say we are. And that's important to these guys. So we got to come under the authority of a pastor. And the last one of my three core values is this. Every believer has a ministry. Did you get that? Every believer has a ministry both young and old. Now we got some people who may be considered seniors here. I'm, I'm a senior now. I don't have, he was talking about having his 50th birthday. I don't have birthdays anymore. I just keep having anniversaries of my 40th birthday. So that way, that way I don't have a problem with that. But, but, but at some places I can get the senior discount quite easily and legally without lying. So here, here's, here's for a senior. So if you are a senior, and I'll try not to make eye contact with anybody so that they're thinking I'm calling them a senior. Here, here's how you know. I, I learned this from a 95-year-old lady. She was 90 at the time. She still did ministry at the nursing home to the old people all the way till she was 95. She was, she was older than most of the old people she was doing ministry to. But she told me, she said, here's how you know if you still have a ministry. She said, if you're still breathing, you got a ministry. She said, God doesn't retire you till he calls you home. And she was ministering that nursing home within two months before she went home. She was still driving out there. Fortunately, it was a small town. We all knew her. We stayed out of the way. (laughs) But uh, every believer has a ministry. Every believer. So what we've set out to do is to train bikers to do ministry. We push, we shove, we drag, don't we? Some of we drugs kicking and screaming into the ministry, but I believe everyone has them. If you're a believer, you have a ministry. So we encourage Christian, we also encourage Christian uh, bikers uh, that can to get an education. Go through the district school of the ministry. Go through Berean classes. Uh, We've had... In my region, which is Nebraska to Texas, Texas over to Tennessee, we've had eight men get their credentials this year, completed their schoolwork, and got their credentials this year. One of them, eight years ago, was a biker that was a major drug supplier for South Dallas. That's what we're doing. That's the kind of people we're reaching. That's where God's making a change. This guy, every week, goes into a youth prison and does ministry. Every week. Weak. 
So we believe every believer has a ministry. We want to train them for that. And we're actually working on providing some ways to do that. Some of, some of the old timers in the assemblies may remember ICI courses, International Correspondent Institute. Well, those courses are now downloadable at globalreach.org. And so they're sending me all the CDs and we're getting set up because we're going to start providing tools for people who aren't going to be getting their credentials, but where they can be better educated to do ministry. How many of you know you need to learn? Part of the word disciple means learner, a student, right? So you need to be a student of the word. So we're trying to provide opportunities for people to grow and people to learn. And, and by the way, the guy that I told you about that used to be a major drug supplier, he only had a seventh grade education. Some of his tests for DSOM, District School of Ministry, he had to take more than once. It took him more than a year to get through everything. He had some guys from, from Southwestern Assembly God University found out about him. They mentored him. They, they tutored him. They helped him get through that. But he took every one of those tests on his own and honestly till he got them. Now that's determination, ain't it? So what's your excuse? Oh, no. Mind your own business, pastor. So, so anyhow, the, 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 the second core value I, I gave you, and I said I wanted to give you a, a scripture because uh, I, I really want you to understand that we need to come under the authority of the elders in the church. This is huge, guys. It's where the American church is lacking. I spent some time with, with, a, with a missionary to India recently, and, and, and his deal was, he said, well, he said, the problem with the American church we don't have in India. He said, in fact... India's thinking about starting to send some missionaries to America. And this is part of the problem. We don't recognize and respect those who are elders in our church. It's in Ephesians 4, 10 through 16, it says, He who descended is also the one who ascended from above, all the heavens that he might fill all things. That's Jesus, right? The one who descended and ascended. Is that Jesus? Okay. And he himself gave. Now, we talk, we're Pentecostals, so we look in Corinthians and we see spiritual gifts, right? We look in Romans chapter 12 and we can see the Father's gifts because they were gifts that were given to us that are ours. They're part of who we are. They're part of our passions. They make us up. Well, these are the gifts of the Son. You see, we serve a triune God and he gave gifts too. And here's his gifts. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. By the way, it doesn't say he gave them the gift of apostle, gift of, he says he gave some to be. He literally gave your pastors to you as a gift. Your pastors are a gift to this church. That's what this scripture is saying. I, I, I like to say it this way. Pastors are God's gift to the church. Deacons are the church's gift to the pastor. You need to get that order right. Churches should never be deacon-possessed. Uh, so, so he gave some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effectual working by which every part does its share and causes growth 
of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So ministers were given to the church and this text says why. Number one is to equip you for ministry. <coughs> the pastor's role, yeah, thank you. She is a good woman. I have been happily married for 41 years and I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure she's been happily married about 36. So, but, but this equipping for the work of the ministry is their number one job. That's what it says right here. Number one, it's not just to tell you good things. When he gets up there and preaches, it's not just to entertain you. It's because he's trying to equip you to bring you to a place to where you can do ministry. That's their role. That's what they're doing. Number two, <coughs> is building up believers in unity, Christ-likeness, maturity, doctrinal stability. Listen, if you listen to all these other guys, you'll, you'll be so confused it's unreal, but you've got a pastor that cares and wants to make sure that you don't stray into false doctrines. How many of you know there's a lot of them out there? And I'm gonna tell you, Pentecostals are the most gullible people on the face of the earth. They play the God card and we go, oh yeah, that must be it. That's the reason why there's been so many frauds that have gone out there. Most of the time they attack the Pentecostals because we're ready to see a move of God. Folks, before you see a move of God, get grounded in the word and listen and be taught by your pastors. And if you see something strange or something out there, well, ask your pastor. Pastor, what do you think about this? What do you think about this new teaching that's going around? Why? I mean, some of these guys would have you worshiping angels. That's not scriptural. I'm going to tell you, my focus is Jesus. My focus is not me. I, I do a daily devotional on my Facebook page, and the two things that I've done this week is, is scriptures that, you know, I know it's about Jesus, but you ever look at, Pastor, you've been preaching for a long time. You ever look at a, pa a passage and you say, wow, I never saw that. And you're going, oh, oh man. And I've had that this week because the two passages that I've already done this week are things that says, you know, it's not about me, it's about him. Even me maturing, it's not about me, it's about focusing on him. Focus on him. Any doctrine that takes you any other way is not of God. And your pastor's here to help make sure you don't get strayed like that. And then it's organizing the body to have each part functioning properly, effectively, and in order. I, I, you know, when it says, the King James says, fitly joined together. Fitly joined together. The role of making sure that you get fitly joined together is the ministers in this church. Now, I had a pastor like that when I was younger. I remember one time he asked me if I would, he came to me and told me what he wanted me to do in ministry. And I said, well, I'll pray about it. And he said, I already prayed about it or I wouldn't ask you. So I tried to model my ministry after that. Aren't you glad I'm not your pastor? So, so I did what he told me. And, and Janet and I one time in our 30s, early 30s, led a senior citizen ministry. We did it like a youth group, except for we didn't play basketball. You know what I mean? We, but we did all the fun stuff. And, we, and, it, and, it, and it worked out great. That ministry is still going this many years later, and I didn't tell you how many. So, uh, but... 
fitly be joined together. Your pastor should be able to depend on you that if there's a need in the church, he can help get you fit into that place. I want to tell you something. Your pastor sees things you don't see. He sees things nobody else sees. I, I never understood that till I became a pastor. There were times God showed me things. I think God operates on a need to know basis. And there were times when I knew things. There was this lady that wanted to work with the youth. And, and, and I told her, I said, you know, uh, I, I just don't want someone that smokes working with the youth because I think it's a bad example and they're going to look up to you. Two weeks later, she stood up in Sunday on, in the church and testified how God had delivered her cigarettes. A couple of nights later, I wake up in the middle of the night and I kid you not, I could see her smoking on her back porch just as clear as day. And she lived way out in the country. So she comes by the church the next day and I said, so you're only smoking on the back porch? And she goes, there's no way you could have seen me. <laughs> I'm firmly convinced that past God showed, folks, what we're involved in here is not natural, it's supernatural. Do you understand that? Your pastor is a supernatural gift to this church and he sees things. God gives him things. He's not just up there thinking, what's the best thing I can preach today? He does just like I did. I don't know where he does it, but he gets someplace along with God and he seeks God for guidance. What does our church need? And so that's why I'm so firm about that. We've got to be committed. All believers have a ministry. All believers need to grow up and all believers need to get into their place. And that's what pastors do. So do you not want to minister? Do you, do you not want to grow up spiritually? Do you, do you not want to find your place in this church? If not, I have a question. Who's your Lord? Who's your Lord? You know, the old, the old Kung Fu TV series, uh, David Carradine was in it. I don't know, anybody old enough to remember that? So, so in the old Kung Fu series, he had a, he had a, a Shiloan, a master Kung Fu guy that wherever, whatever, whatever situation he was in in life, he would have these flashbacks to what he was taught by the master. He had been taught, he had been discipled, he had been trained, and then he would deal with things in life by what he had been taught by the master. That's what Jesus is. He's my master. He's my Lord. And I don't have to have flashbacks. I got it. I got it right here. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I have it. I, the things I do, I base them on this thing. I base them on this word and I'm still learning new stuff. And every time, every time I learn new stuff, you know what I keep thinking? It's all about him. It's all about him. The more I'm about him, the more I start getting like he wants me to be. Am I right? He's my master. So who is your master? This is his plan. The one I just read from you in Ephesians, that's his plan. It's his plan that you mature. I remember as a young guy one time I thought, you know, Lord, I wonder what it would be like if you could see everybody out here at their maturity level. And then, then I thought, whoa, wait a minute. I wonder how many of them I'd see in diapers. <laughs> we need to grow up, church. We need to get to that place. And that's what we're trying to do with motorcycle ministry. 
We're trying to bring people into a place, but it's a passion of mine. Like I told you guys, I'm just a pastor. 85% of Americans self-identify as Christians. 85% of Americans say they're Christians. So odds are most of the people that we talk to are going to tell us they're a Christian. Does that make sense? Only 33% of them say this though, that they've made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord. No, they will go to heaven because they've confessed their sins and have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Believe that their faith is very important in their lives today. Only a third of Americans. Folks, we don't live in a Christian nation. Somebody get mad because people are saying that, but it's true. 33% people say, I mean, those are essentials to salvation. Now let me give you another one. Only 5%. Only 5% say they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with non-Christians. Now I want to tell you, if you're a Pentecostal and you don't believe that you're supposed to be a witness, you're not a Pentecostal. The purpose of Pentecost is not to party. The party is the celebration after the witnessing part. The purpose of Pentecost is to proclaim. The only reason why you became, you, you should become a Pentecostal is because you want to share the gospel. Do you hear what I'm saying? Am, am, does that make sense to you? Only 5% of Americans think you should. Only 5% five, uh, 5 of people believe that God is the all-knowing perfect deity that created the universe and still ruins it today. Only 5% of Americans believe that. By the way, a lot more than 5% of Americans go to church. Uh, only 5% of Americans believe that salvation is possible through grace and not through works. You see, we, we've gotten it. We've, we've, we've messed up. Billy Graham warned us back in the late 60s. He said, if we're not careful, we're going to give America just enough Christianity to make them immune to it. I got a flu shot. What they gave me in my flu shot was they gave me some of that virus. They gave me just enough that I could build up immunity to it. Now, it's broken. They don't give you the whole virus. They give you a broken up virus so that you don't get the whole virus so it doesn't make you have the flu. It's broken. And what we've done in America is we've given them a broken gospel. We, we, we give them John 3.16, but we don't give them Romans 10. We, get, we give them, for God so loved the world, but he... But he <laughs> that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But we forget to give him Romans 10 where it says, well, let me just read it. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. I'm going to tell you that you're not a Christian unless Jesus is your master. Now, you make a promise there you can't keep, but Scripture tells us over and over what happens next is the new birth. I make a promise I can't keep, and then he, by his grace, recreates me. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are created his workmanship unto good works. You can tell how old I am because I quote everything in King James. No matter how I try not to, it still comes out that way. Uh, but I'm, I'm telling you, folks, I've been recreated. I made a commitment that I couldn't keep. This is a message that we're sharing because what the biker world sees is if they see you calling yourself a Christian but not living like one, 
they don't believe you. They think you ought to be what you say you are, good or bad. Good or bad. I've been blessed to be, to be given some relationship with these guys. But you know, an, an atheist, uh, uh, William Nietzsche said this, show me that you are redeemed and I will believe in your redeemer. He said that because he hadn't seen someone show him that they were redeemed. That's what these guys are saying to us. Several years ago, now there's a group called the National Coalition of Motorcyclists. Uh, Lynn's mentioned that. Uh, in the 70s, in fact, if you go back to the Texas Monthly in 1979, you'll see a story about Fort Worth, Texas and the bloodbath that was taking place in Fort Worth, Texas between the biker clubs. They literally were killing each other for territory. And it was written up in an article or something about not to have a a bandito for a boyfriend or a husband or something like that. And so, uh, but in the 70s, that's what was going on. So in 1986, this National Coalition of Motorcyclists was formed. And what they did was they got the different nations and they call them nations, the Outlaw Nation, the Bandito Nation, the Hells Angel Nation. They, they call them these names. They were able to get these guys to sit down at a table and to actually work out territories, rules, all this kind of stuff. They have their own governments. They have their own laws and they have their own enforcement. Now they will deny all three because of the RICO laws. But it's a fact. And INCOM is, is a group that is like the, the United Nations for these guys. So several years back, they decided we need to get three men of God, I mean five men of God for our world that can troubleshoot problems we have with Christians. I mean, it wasn't so that they'd have men of God that could minister to them. It was so they could troubleshoot problems they had with Christians. And so what I was told, they followed these guys around for two years. They went to places where they preached. They went to places where they could ask them questions. They, they just, I mean, because they checked them out. And so the people checking it out was leadership from what they call the five powers. These are leaders from the banditos, hell's angels, sons of silence, outlaws, and the pagans. And so they followed these guys around. They could only agree on three. And I'm one of those three. We have since turned it around, not totally around. We're still dealing with problems with Christians. Usually it's something about, I saw so-and-so drinking a beer. What are you going to do about it? Or like a group in Florida that was acting like calling themselves a Christian group, but living like one percenters. One percenters are the really, the guys like the five powers. So, uh, but they were using that in a masquerade and they wanted us to fix it. And they showed us pictures of an orgy from one of their parties. And I said, I don't need to see those pictures. He said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, let's pray about it overnight. And the next day we told them they're not ours. He said, okay, we'll take care of it. Because they weren't. They weren't living like Christians. But we've troubleshooted some problems. But we've also set up ways. Now they want to know who the real chaplains are. That are they want to know who are the truly, the guys that are really ordained. Now, one reason why they want that is because of the clergy privilege thing. They can actually pour out their heart to somebody and it can't be used against them in a court of law right? But also because a, a really ordained minister can get into the emergency rooms. He can get into the, to the jails. He can, he can do ministry that really need. And then these guys are starting to recognize that they're needed. The, the, the really hardcore guys are getting older. And so there's a need for that. The average age of a biker a few years ago was 51 and I'm above average at something. So, uh, the, but 
But they, we're setting up, we're getting to set up ways. I've been asked to go to every confederation of club in Texas. There's 11 in Texas. Most states only have one, at the most two. Texas is big. We have 11. They're under the leader of a guy. We've been told that at the Texas State Rally next year, we're going to get an hour to present some stuff. I've been asked to go to every confederation club in, in Texas and start setting up chaplains and ways for Christians to be able to, to minister within the biker world. Is that cool? That couldn't have happened just a few years ago. There's no way. But God's given us an ability to go in and start making a difference. And so that's part of that going in and not just as a uh, evangelist, going from evangelism event to evangelism event, but we're being allowed to do to some disciples. I, I do a lot of work in Texas, Nebraska down to Texas, over to Tennessee. So a lot of my work is with banditos, outlaws, and sons of silence. Those are the major groups in the areas where, where I do most of my work. And so God's blessed me. I had one of the national leaders of the sons of silence two years ago at, at INCOM. INCOM is, is when they all come together. There's usually a couple of thousand to 4,000 of them come together and on Mother's Day weekend, so I spend every Mother's Day weekend with these guys. Uh, and so the Sons of Silent guy came up, gave me a big hug, and he said, I love you, brother. The word brother's huge in this world. You don't call yourself brother. You don't call someone else brother. But if they call you brother, that's huge. That's about the best thing they can call you. In fact, I, this I love you, brother, or I love you, my wife, you know, if, if some of you guys get off the phone and go, I love you too, and hang up, your wife's going to wonder what in the world's going on. But it happens all the time because these guys call me and that's, they, they say, I love you. <laughs> and I go, I love you too. And I hang up. I, I, you know, sometimes they'll kiss you. Usually they kiss me on the cheek. Uh, usually, sometimes they'll kiss on the lips. I was in El Paso and, and this guy was going to kiss me on the lips and he, he gets right there and I just turn. I said, I guess I'm more preacher than I am biker. <laughs> he said, that's okay. We love you anyway. So, so God's opening doors. I, I preached a Pentecostal salvation message in Reno this Mother's Day to about 450 bikers in a casino. I love it when we can take back some of the devil's territory, even if it's only for a little window. God's doing some amazing things. He's opening doors. And these guys with the honor-bound patches that you see sitting around here, God has given them favor here. Uh, when, when Lynn's told me, he, what he told me, he said, I just don't think I'm cut out for that kind of ministry. I mean, he was dead serious. I mean, he, he ended it right there. That was, that was enough said. And it wasn't long till I started seeing God start doing things. And he was wearing the honor-bound patch. And God's given him favor in November uh, and at the DFW Confederation of Clubs, they're going to be giving him one of those chaplain patches that rec rec recognizes him as one of the preachers that they can go to in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Isn't that amazing? So what Janet and I accomplish in ministry, our legacy is not going to be just what we get done. Our legacy is going to be what's done by the people that we teach and we train and we leave. I, I want to leave ministers in my wake. Does that make sense? That's what our foreign missionaries do. That's what we're trying to do. That's what I want Lens to do. I want Lens to train people for ministry. I want Lens to leave other ministers in his wake. That's our goal, guys. 
We're trying to raise up people and make a difference in this community that most of the world doesn't know about. And they're living right here, guys. I mean, the blood wars are always this close to happening. Texas only has one 1% club, and yet they have somebody come in. A few years ago, a guy made himself a Hells Angels patch. He made his own, made it look just like it, wore it on his vest, wrote it all around, I think it was either Austin or Houston, I can't remember which, but he wrote it around. He wasn't a real Hells Angel, but he was wearing the patch all over the place until as he left a restaurant with his family, a sniper took him out right there. This is serious business. Uh, when, 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 they, when they named me to this position I have, uh, it was a little, little unique. I mean, this guy come out of the room and this guy that made me look small put his arm around me and he said, uh, by the way, he said, you do realize you've reached a level that if you mess up, you will get beat up. And they do it. We, we, October 2005, we led the president of the, of the banditos in El Paso to Christ. And as he grew in the Lord, things stopped working. And so uh, they ambushed him, left him on a bus stop barefooted with enough money because his boots had Harley on them. So they left him on a bus stop barefooted with enough money to get a bus ticket home. Busted ribs, bleeding all over. You know what his thoughts were? When there were 30 guys with boots kicking him, he thought, you know what? He said, this is nothing compared to what Jesus did for me. Nothing. And his other thing was, you know, now nothing's going to keep me from serving God like I need to serve God. It was a place he needed to get to. So I have the same thing in the prison. Sometimes guys have to take a beating to get where they need to be. But I'll also tell you this. There are some guys that are wearing bandito patches that are serving God right now. A lot of people think that's impossible, but I'm telling you, they're serving God. We've got a chaplain right here in Texas that he serves God. I've, I've shared a room with him. Uh, first, it kind of scared me the first time, but I did. Well, he's a preacher, but he carries a weapon under both armpits, you know, and that wasn't what scared me. Concealed carry in the biker world, just about everybody's has something. I mean, it's just, they, the governor was here and they had an event and they told everybody to go put their guns back in their bikes and about 90% of the guys went back to their bikes to put their guns up. So preachers, Christians, everybody. And so uh, I wasn't surprised by that. What got me was when he laid the nine mil in the bed next to him and said, I hope you don't mind. I have to leave the TV on because ever since Vietnam, if it gets quiet and dark, I get jumpy. <laughs> That's what made me nervous. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm telling you, God has given favor to this and, and this is what God's allowing us to do. So, you know, it's a missions convention. We're not one of the missionaries you support as a church. There's some of the guys here individually that support us. But... You know, you can pray for us, and, and who knows, maybe your church will start supporting us eventually. We do work with your church quite a bit. That's how missionaries stay on the field. That's how we do what we do. But I was in Burleson, Texas at a church, and uh, I had my bike parked in the foyer, and this lady comes up, and you know, because all churches have donuts now. Why didn't they do that when I was a kid? We never had donuts. We didn't get to drink water at church. So my, my fondest, my hor most horrible memory was being led out of the church at five years old and my mother made me take off my own belt. 
I chased a rabbit. Anyhow, so I'm in the church, and this lady comes to me, and she apologizes because she got this sticky donut handprint. Her little girl got a sticky donut handprint on my tank. And I walked back, and I looked at that little sticky donut handprint, and God really spoke to me. And here's what he, here's what he said to me. Forever soul that we touch, forever life that's changed, and the ministry that we're doing, God sees the handprints of those people that send us financially and with their prayers. If you pray for us, God's going to see your handprints. I shared that in Nebraska a few weeks ago. And this youth pastor came up to me and said, you know, three years ago, you talked about this Book of Hope Road edition. She said, I started contributing to that on a regular basis. She said, I, I got a call from one of my other friends, told me about a friend of ours from high school, one of our best friends, went through a divorce, life was just falling apart. Started praying for him. So a few weeks later, I got a, a phone call from him. He sounded all chipper, and he was talking about how he'd gotten into church and how his life was getting turned around and all this stuff. And he said, he's a truck driver, and he said, I was at a, a, a truck stop, and he said, have you ever heard of the Book of Hope Road Edition? Someone had given him one of those books, and that book was what got him turned back around in serving God. And she said, you know what? My handprint was on that one. I'm telling you, when you pray for your missionaries, y'all have had a missionary focus all week. The souls that they touch, God sees your handprints. Man, that bookmark, what a great idea. What a great idea. Take that bookmark, put it in your Bible, put it wherever you do your devotions. Stick it on, you know, if, I usually tell people with our prayer cards, put it where you'll remember to pray. And a couple of suggestions is you can put it on your refrigerator or in your Bible, whichever one you open the most. <laughs> so so I, I think I left a few minutes, not money, but it, does anybody have any questions? I didn't think I could talk that long. <laughs> Janet said she did. So anybody have any questions, want to know something about what we're doing or any questions about what we're doing? No? Yes. We, we live just outside of Denton in a little town called Aubrey, Texas. Part of the reason why we moved up here, we were, we were originally in, in West Texas because I was in that missions church was in the northern part of the Chihuahuan Desert. I didn't know that till I was there for a while. Uh, it felt like it. Uh, but when I went to a confederation of club meeting out there, we'd have about 40 people show up. I came up here and went to a confederation of club and we have 400 show up. So I needed to get to a place that was a little more. And as it's turned out, they've used me. I, I, I've been in so many confederation of club meetings in Oklahoma because they went through some major changes and they wanted me there. And I said, when you get me, you're going to get the preacher thing. You know that. And they said, we need that. And so I've been up in Oklahoma so much. People thought I lived in Oklahoma, but I don't. I live just outside of Denton, a little town called Aubrey. Yes, ma'am. You know, the majority of the guy, people I minister to personally right now are men because the biker world is, is, it's predominantly combat veterans. That's how this whole thing started growing. Combat veterans who came up, it's, a, it's laced with PTSD big time. So, I mean, the Banditos was fell, founded by Donald Eugene Chambers, which was an ex-Marine. Uh, that's the reason why their colors are red and gold. 
but they, um, it's a very male dominant place, very male chauvinist. Women are treated like property. Uh, part of what we're doing with this thing where we're setting up these ways for us to minister through the Confederation of Clubs is, I've been telling them, listen, your, your ladies needs, when, when, when a man goes down, let our ladies help your families. Our ladies will come in, they'll, they'll help feed your family, they'll help take care of you. They'll, you know, they'll help take care of the children, whatever it needs to be so that she can be there because they're all up there together, but she's kind of neglected. And, and it's starting to sink. So I think we're going to get to start doing that. Another thing that we've got a couple in Tennessee, which I'll be in middle of Tennessee tomorrow night, uh, north of Nashville, but we've got a group that's working on there. In Sturgis every year, we were told, I haven't been able to check it out yet, but we're going to try to. We were told that after Sturgis every year, which is the largest biker event in the United States, that there are hundreds and hundreds of women left behind. They take them up there, they use them, they abuse them, and when they get on their bikes to go home, they leave them. So we're trying, we've got a couple that are honor bound in Tennessee that they're trying to work together, come up with a strategy for how we can minister to these ladies, how we can, we wanna be able to, they're talking about, we wanna be able to get them showers, a place to stay, and just be able to care for them somehow until we can get them on a bus and get them home. But it's a very male-dominated culture. It's starting to grow with women now. Part of that, there's women clubs that there were never before. Uh, the, the largest, one of the largest growing sectors of, of, of Harley-Davidson owners are women now. And part of that is because we have combat women coming home. I mean, that's just part of it. They, they come home... They're, they're not afraid of anything. So. Right, and we do minister to women in outreach. One of the things, we, we've, got, we've got these little trial sizes of uh, sunscreen. We just got four boxes. Yeah, well, we do these free bike washes where we, we wash the bikes. We don't charge for it. The guys from here come down and help us in Austin when we do it. We're supposed to try to get one going in Corpus at the rally down there. We do one in uh, Daytona Beach, two in Daytona Beach, but... Uh, these kids bought these trial sizes of sunscreen. And so, and then they spread them out on a table and these nine, 10, 11 year old girls walked around laying their hands on these tubes, praying that the ladies who get this would know that Jesus loves them. And so when Janet and the other ladies hand those out at the free bike wash, because especially the Rot Rally in Austin, it's so hot. Janet, they always tell them about these girls that prayed over, and then they just break down in tears, and that gives you an opportunity to share. So we minister a lot at those kind of events, but usually it has to be our wives that do that. So we, we have wives that ride behind their husbands. We have wives that don't ride at all, because, but we need them at these events so that they can minister to the ladies because we, we can't because they're property. Does that make sense? So it just, it's just part of it. Yes, you want to answer?
We wash bikes slowly. We don't get in a hurry. Yeah. Even a lot of the ministries are all about this. They'll sit up and sell stuff. We don't sell anything. We have a reputation of we give stuff away. And so, uh, and we don't take donations. And when they ask about that, we tell them, we say, uh, yeah, we know it costs something, but someone else paid for it. We tell them about our churches and how the churches pay for it and how the churches keep us on the road out there. And then we tell them about, you know, not everything in life costs something. Sometimes someone else pays for it. You know where that goes, right? So we can share a gospel message. Anyone else? Do what now? We are currently working on getting it done in Spanish. There, I'm, I'm working with uh, Monte Maston with uh, Latin American Bible Institute. He's the president down there. So we're trying to get all the articles, trans, the, the, the Bible verses they have in Spanish, but we're working on getting all the articles and everything else translated into Spanish and the fill in the blanks and all that kind of stuff so that we'll have it a Spanish version. That's going to be a huge need, not just in Texas. I was, I was in uh, Chicago at, at Pastor Choco's church, and you know, it's, it's, they're Puerto Rican. They need the Spanish version. And so it's, in, in the United States, we need, we need a Spanish version. So, Pastor? I think I used every last drop of my time. We're going to uh, receive an offering for this ministry. So, guys, if you'll come with your bags, fill it up. That means dig deep. If you're writing a check for tithe, be sure and indicate it for tithe. Otherwise, uh, everything that's received tonight will will be sent. You won't get it tonight, but we'll send it to you. <laughs> Checks in the mail. Did you enjoy this? Yeah. You know, there, uh, in every arena of life, there is a need for someone to spread the gospel. And recently, they just approved a uh, mountain climbing missionary couple uh, to the mountain climbers. There are thousands and thousands and more thousands of people who climb mountains. And so they go climb mountains with these groups and witness to them. Well, they will as soon as they get all their support in, but they're itinerating right now and raising support for their ministry. Mountain climbing. What a... I mean, isn't that amazing? And remember, we had the family here that uh, went to Turkey uh, because they train falcons, hunting falcons. And they're in that zero, zero, zero zone where there are no zero churches, zero believers, and zero gospel. But now there's one. There's one couple. So... They can't quite say zero. They have said 99.999. But uh, God is opening doors where just a few years ago, I mean, there are chaplains for rodeos. And yeah, y'all go back to your table. Y'all stop by the table and uh, pick up some of their stuff, especially their prayer card. I have a bulletin board at home that I have so many prayer cards on it. And sometimes I just have to say, Unless the Lord points out somebody, I just say, Lord, bless all those guys on that board because it's full up. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace on our lives. Father, I pray for your blessing upon Dwayne and Janet and upon all of those involved in motorcycle ministry. Lord, it's easy for us to just driving down the road to see how many motorcycles there are on the road today. They're not all in clubs, but Father, many of those um, still need to be reached. So thank you for this ministry. Bless it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you. See you Sunday, if not sooner.